0: Sunday, so we don't have Sunday school. Kids are going to stay here with us. It's family Sunday. So thank you guys for that. And uh, you guys get to worship with us today. How awesome is that? So we have our connect cards here uh, for you to fill out. Let us know that you're here. Uh, Any prayer requests, any praises. Uh, Isn't it good to see David's here? David, wave to us. Hosanna's here. She was in the. She was on the drums, and uh, so recovered. Titus is is here. So, yeah, in the in the back. So, j- just to say, you know, a lot of times we take those guys for for granted back there. We don't really see them. They're they're hanging out back there. You know, they are so dedicated. Ben. What time? How, when did you get up last night to go drive? So, so he drove, he, he drives to uh, Portland and back on the, the airport shuttle. Drove all night. And he was here this morning to, uh, to do sound for us. So. And if you, would like to, if you would like to join these guys back there, we're always looking for somebody to help out. Uh, in the back, we can teach you all there is to know about all those little knobs and sliders and things that makes all of us sound so good. Uh, But anyway, thank you guys for all that you do back there each and every day. So fill this out. We do, uh, I have a prayer request this morning. So Les Carver who is uh, Kathy Young's son-in-law. So Karen and Les. um, Les is in the hospital in Corvallis with COVID. He is on a ventilator. Uh, so pray for him. And Karen is in isolation at Timberview here in Albany. And of course, she can't she can't go to see him. So really pray for Les and Karen Carver um, as they um, deal with COVID. So um, what's my next one up here? He has got to help me. There we go. Memory verse, memory verse. So, so next, tomorrow is, is June 1st, right? So we start a new memory verse. And 1 Peter 3, 18 is our June memory verse. So let's say it together. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. 1 Peter 318. So you'll be working on that. Put it up on your refrigerator or in your on your bathroom mirror or on the candy jar. Just where wherever you visit, a couple days, a couple times during the day, so that you can be working on your memory verse. And then next Sunday, we have our Discover East Side. So if you wanted to know a little bit more about Eastside, you know, what does it mean to be a member here? What, what's kind of our history? Where did we come from? Uh, we, we would invite you. This is an hour-long class. Uh, and you get to eat, so we'll feed you. But we need to know if you're going to be here, if you would uh, sign up uh, over in guest services so we, would, so we know that you're coming Next Sunday after second service. And then on June 13th, we're going to have our quarterly uh, congregational meeting. Just kind of fill you in. What's going on? There's a lot happening. Uh, Where are we headed for the rest of the summer? Uh, Any questions you may have. And then the guys uh, have a fishing camping trip coming up in June, end of June. So uh, sign up at Guest Services. We'd love to have all of you guys up there. How many campsites? We got four or five? Five campsites up. Uh, up It's it's kind of where Highway 20 and Highway 126 meet, Clear Lake area, up in there. We'll be uh, seeing who, who catches that big fish or, or that big fish maybe somewhere in there. But having a lot of fun. And before we pray for the offering... Uh, just to let you know what what's happening with, we we had a, uh, a vote here a couple weeks, a couple months ago, and we talked about uh, what we were going to be doing with some of the surplus money. Well, well this week is going to be proof. They started yesterday on the crack seal back here, and then tomorrow they're going to be sealing all of this parking lot, and then on Tuesday they're going to come back and they're going to stripe it all. So uh, if you're going to be Around the church. The office will be closed tomorrow, but uh, just be aware we may be having you park in different areas, like for the Tuesday morning uh, Go Deeper class. We may be, so just watch where we've got you set up to, to park so that they can continue their work and uh, we can get all that done. And then on Tuesday, we have a, another crew coming in to lay some flooring over in the nursery. Uh, right in the front section of the nursery, and then the lobby of the back building. So kind of, you, you just be aware, uh, you may see a note on the door that says, go around the back, and, you know, I have a secret entrance into the pastor's office. So uh, we may be using that to get you in and out of the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, as we do the new flooring over there, so... Just a lot of neat things going on to make sure that we're taking care of God's building and God's property, and we want to maintain it as best we can. So let's pray and thank the Lord for our offering. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for what you give to us to give back to you. And Lord, I just would ask that you would take everything that's given, that, that it would be used to multiply the Word of God around the world that people can come to know you as Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we are in the book of Genesis. And last week um, we, we saw some name changes. Abram became Abraham. Sarah the prince, Sarai, the princess, became Sarah, God's princess. And Isaac was, he said, Isaac's going to be born. And anybody remember what Isaac's name means? He laughs. He laughs. Isn't it great that God has a sense of humor? I mean, just look around you if you don't believe God has a sense of humor, right? <laughs> so, so I am glad that God has a sense of humor. And uh, so we met all of those characters. And if you remember... Last week I said, when, when God stopped, remember Abram said, do not pass me by, stop and have lunch with me. And uh, because they were headed someplace else. It was, it was God in, the, in, in human form and two angels with him in human form. And here they are and, and they stop and they have lunch. But where were they on the way to? They were on the way to Sodom and Gomorrah because there had been all of this this, uh, heaven was being bombarded with all these terrible things that were happening in Sodom and Gomorrah. They were going to go down and take a look and they were going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And when we get to verse 16 they're leaving. They're headed out to uh, Sodom and Gomorrah to go down and look. And Abram Abraham is walking with these three and there's a conversation that, that goes on that says we're, God's talking to the angel said should we, should we let Abraham know what's going to happen because you know he's got a he, lot lives down there should we let Abraham know and he said yeah we'll, we're gonna, we're going to let him know and so we're going to start in verse 22 and we're going to see this conversation, between and it's actually a negotiation we're going to see a negotiation between abraham and god have you ever negotiated with god you know god if you'll just do this i'll do that there's a lot of negotiations in foxholes right you know god if you'll just spare me well this is going to be a a, a negotiation between God and Abraham, So Genesis 18, starting in verse 22. And the men turned away from there and they went to Sodom while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you, shall you not judge all the earth and deal justly? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. And Abraham replied and said, Now behold... I ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am just dust and ashes. Suppose the 50 righteous were lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of five? And he says, I will not destroy it if you find 45 there. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose 40 were found there. And he says, I will not do it on the account of 40. And then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I will speak, suppose 30 were found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he says, now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, suppose 20 were found there. And he says, I will not destroy it on the count of 20. And then he says, oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak only this once, Suppose 10 are found there. And he says, I will not destroy it on the account of the 10. And as soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed and Abraham returned to his place. Wow, what an interesting negotiation. This is kind of like a backwards auction, right? Seeing how low we can get this is the difference between Abraham's mercy and God's mercy. You see, I want you to think about what's going on here. What's going through Abraham's mind? Lot lives in Sodom. He knows that. Lot moved to Sodom about 20 years before. And if we remember back a couple messages ago, uh, that Lot first started out, he didn't live in the middle of Sodom. He, started, he pitched his tents outside. And then pretty soon we find him living in the middle of Sodom. And when we come to this story, he's been living in Sodom for almost 20 years. And Abram's thinking in his mind, Lot knows God Almighty. He knows El Shaddai, as we talked about last week. He knows who God is. And surely in the time that he has lived in Sodom, he's been able to, to bring 50 people to faith in the God Almighty in the Creator God surely in 20 years you would think that lot would be able to do that and so as he he thought God says no I won't I won't destroy it for 50 for then Abraham has a bit of a doubt well you know Lot's not much of a talker so maybe he maybe he didn't convert maybe, maybe 40 of them didn't 40 so God 40 would you would you spare it for 40 and you see this going on in his mind as he as God says okay I won't do it. and and abram says well and he gets all the way down to 10 surely God you won't destroy it for 10 because we know we got four right we got he knows Abraham knows that Lot and his wife and his two daughters live there and then those two daughters are engaged so that's six so surely they could have in 20 years gotten four more people to believe in the almighty God surely you would surely he could do that I mean Goodness sakes, it was Abraham who came down and rescued them after they had been carried off by the kings. And everybody got to meet Melchizedek, the the priest, the king priest. They got to meet him, and they saw the miracle of of their being rescued. Surely somebody, four people, that's all we needed. And Abraham's going, okay, four That he he had to have done four. Just ten, Lord. Just if ten are there. And he said, yeah, if ten are there. I'll spare everybody for the ten righteous. How'd they do? There wasn't ten there, was there? Matter of fact, um, we look at at Matthew chapter 7 and it tells us why. It says, enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and wide. And the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Isn't that the same way today? I mean, everybody looks and says, Oh, hey, we can pick any way we want to get to heaven. I'm going to pick the way of prosperity and, and wealth and... And yeah, or or I'm gonna put, you know, I'm gonna go over here and I'm gonna find some god that I really like over here that says I can do whatever I want to do. The Broadway, and people, you know, I don't know. I I, I wonder if uh, if that's why Broadway got its name in New York City. I don't know. But the Broadway leads to destruction, right? Narrow is the gate, and Jesus said what? He said I. Am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He says it's narrow, and there are few who find it. In Matthew 24, <clears throat> this is the, the chapter that tells us all about what is going to be happening just before God returns, and, and if you want to read the newspaper and put it down next to Matthew 24, I think you'll find that we're, we're probably there. And this is what Matthew says about the days that we live in. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Isn't that what's going on today? Everybody, hey, we have a we have a, a, a country that believes in, in you only live once, right? YOLO. You only live once. So let's do whatever we want to do. And that's what they were doing in the days of Noah. Matter of fact, the verse that we, that we started today, 1 Peter 3.18, I want to read the rest of what goes behind it so you, you get a picture of, of what it says. For Christ also died for, for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Now watch this. In which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits, now in prison, who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah, during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Eight out of all of the people that were on the earth at that time, eight believed in God. Eight. It's not very many, is it? I mean, we don't know exactly how many, and I'm sure somebody who has an advanced mathematics degree could probably figure out, uh, extrapolate how many of the ancestors there were. But there was a lot of people And for 80 years, Noah built the ark, and he preached, repent, judgment is coming. Stop what you're doing, come, get in the ark. Up until the very day that the rain started, he preached, come into the ark, come into safety. God is going to destroy the world, come in. And when finally God shut the door, And the floods came, it was too late. There wasn't anything left to say. Few will come. What if we ask God for 1%? What if we ask, God, would you give us 1%? Albany, Oregon, how many folks we have? 53,000, thereabouts. 1%. 1%. God, would you give us 530 souls? 530 people to come to you. State of Oregon. We have 4.27 million people in the state of Oregon. 42,000 people. Would you, God, would you give us 42,000 people? Can you imagine what kind of revival might start if 42,000 people came to Christ right here in Oregon? What about the United States? 3.2 million people. Over 3 million people coming to Christ. Could you give us? 3.2 million? How about the world? 7.7 billion. God, would you give us over 7 million people coming to Christ around the world? Would you do that? When's the last time that we prayed, God, do something for us. Do something great for us. Would you bring those people to Jesus? We have a list, we have a list here at this church of unbelievers that we pray for as elders. We pray for them. And we say, God, would you, and we see people come to Christ. And and that's what God is asking us to do. God is asking us to pray. God, give us the few. Who are the few? Bring us the few. Have us go out and find the few that are going to come. There's going to be a lot that are going to, that, that and we're going to see this in just a little bit, there's going to be a lot that don't want to. There's going to be a lot that won't listen. But God asks us to call for them. Well, let's look at, at, at chapter 19. So we have this negotiation that's gone on. And let's see what happens when the two angels get down there. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting by the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet and when you arise early and go on your way? And they said, however, no, we shall spend the night in the square. Yet he urged them strongly, so they turned in aside to him and entered his house, and he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread. And they ate, and before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, and all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out that we may have relations with them. But but Lot went out to them in the doorway and shut the door behind him. And he said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters that have not had relations with a man. Please let me bring them out to you and and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said stand aside and furthermore they said this one came as an alien and already he is acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to breaking the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house and shut the door. And they struck the men who were with them at the doorway of the house with blindness both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. Wow, what a scene that they found there in Sodom. Remember I talked previously about spiritual brinkmanship? How close can we get to sin without falling over the edge? Sometimes if you stand too close to the fire... Be prepared to get burnt. I mean, here's Lot that had the opportunity to leave a place that was exceedingly evil, but he, he decided to live right in the middle of it. And there's this interesting thing that happens. Remember it says that he urged them to come in and they came into this house. In the Arab culture, there is a... a um, part of of their culture is that if you enter somebody's house, you are under their protection. And and I've had this opportunity when I've been in in northern Africa. There's been places that I've gone to and and people have actually taken us into their home and said, we don't have to know who you are, we just have to know that you're safe here. And this is still in appliance today. If anybody's ever read the book Lone Survivor about Marcus Luttrell, he's, he was a Navy SEAL in Afghanistan and his, his four-man team was overrun and he was the only one left. The other three had died and he was taken into, into a house in an Afghan village. And they they took care of his wounds They're, and they, they were the Taliban actually came for him. They had found out that this family had him. And this man, this this Muslim man, went outside, this Arab man said, You can't have him. He's under the protection of my roof. And they left him alone. And and if you read the story, Marcus was able to be rescued, he was he was saved, and he actually has an amazing story to tell. The man who protected him now actually lives here in the United States. And it's an amazing story. And so this concept is still alive today. They're under my roof. And all of these men should have respected that, but their their depravity wouldn't allow them to do that. They pounded on the door. Even even when, when Lot gave them this terrible... Terrible solution. And, it, and and how did they treat Lot? I want you to notice that when Lot did not go their way, in verse 9, what did they do? They said, you're an alien. You're judging us. Who are you? Oh, we're going to treat you worse. They turned on him. And I can guarantee you that if you, if you live in the middle of the world and you think that they're all of your friends, you wait until the day comes that you don't agree with them. That you don't give them what they... You don't... St- when you stand up and say, That's enough. They'll turn on you in an instant, just like they turned on Lot. And, and the angels had to save him. And I think it's interesting... Did you notice that what they, the angels did? The angels could have just said, "Boom, lightning, let's just let's just fry all these guys outside the door." But what they do, they they made them blind. They they made them all blind. And I think that's interesting because in 1 John 2:11 it says, "But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness." and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Isn't that interesting that that these people were in spiritual blindness so God said, you know what, I'm going to make them physically blind. And the world today is what? They are blind. They're blind to the gospel. They're blind to, to their own sin. And the consequences of their own sin, the blindness, the spiritual blindness, in this case, was followed by physical blindness. Well, let's let's look on in this narrative. Verse 12, and when the two men said to Lot, whom else is here? Remember, we've got to get to 10, right? We've got to get to 10 if we're going to save Sodom. The two angels said, Whom else is here? A son-in-law? Your sons? Your daughters? Whomever you have in this city, bring them to this place. We're going to see if we're going to get to 10. If we can get to 10, God said he would spare all of Sodom. For we are about to destroy this place because of the outcry that was become so great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-laws, two son-in-laws, who were to marry his daughters. And he said, up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appears to his son-in-laws to be jesting. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away with the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. Wow, can you imagine? He hesitated. So the men seized his hand, and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters for the compassion of the Lord was upon him, and they brought him out and put him outside of the city. And when they brought them outside, one said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you. Do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. But the Lord said, oh no, my lords. Now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight and you have magnified your loving kindness which has been shown to me by saving my life. But I can't escape to the mountains for the disaster will overtake me and I will die. Now behold, this city is near enough to flee to and it's small because we know bad things don't happen in small places, right? Please let me escape there, it is Is it not small that my life may be saved? And he said, behold, I grant you this request also not to overthrow the town of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape to there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. And therefore, the name of the town was called Zoar. Zoar means small. Imagine that. Smallville, Waterloo. I can relate to that. I, I mean, I look at this and I say, what is in the world going on? Well, the reality is that some people don't want to be saved. The, the son-in-laws would rather live in their sin than believe that God is going to judge them. And, and as we look at today... It's no different here. Look at what 1 Corinthians 1 says. For the word of the cross is what? Foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believed. The world looks at the message of God and said, it's foolishness. Why would we, cre- why would we teach that there's a creator God in our school? It's foolishness. I mean, we had a whole trial over all of that. We have Supreme Court decisions. Why would we let anyone pray in school? Who are they praying to? Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? What are they debating? They're debating everything that that makes no sense to the Bible. It's the word of God. It's the foolishness of the message that is preached to save those who believe. God's asking us to preach the word of God in clarity so that people will come. And, and right, right about now you're saying, Ben, this is kind of a downer of a message. I mean, you're telling us that, that not, very, not very many people are going to get saved. You're telling us that the foolishness of the world Or the the gospel is is foolishness to the world. But you know, God has, has for us a job to do. And it's not for us to decide how many get saved, it's for us to preach the gospel. Why? Matthew 9 36 to 38. As Jesus looks out across these people that had come, they had come to be fed. They'd come to be healed. They'd come to hear Jesus preach. But, but look at Jesus as he looks out over them. Seeing the people, Jesus felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful. Are there a lot of people out there who are distressed and dispirited, running around like sheep without a shepherd? Do you know people today that that are worried? They're filled with anxiety because they don't know what COVID's going to do. They're filled with anxiety because the housing market just went absolutely nuts, and they can't afford the house. They are they are worried and they're distressed and they're walking around because they don't they're, they're looking for answers in all the wrong places. Yeah, that's, that's a country western song if they know though they're looking for love, looking for love in all the wrong places, right? Yeah. But God says, hey, they're the harvest. Those are the people that need to hear that there's hope. There's the ones, I mean, if, if you're not drowning, you don't need a Savior. But if you're going down for the third time, that's when you want to see somebody that says, hey, I'm here. I'm here to pull you out of the water. I'm here to, to bring you to safety. The harvest is full. But he says, what? But pray for the Lord of the harvest to send workers. And he says, that's your job. Your job is to go into the harvest and, and tell people. Remember last week we talked about planting the seed? We're planting seeds. Not all the seed's going to grow. But some of it will. Because one day the harvest is going to be done, right? I mean, I can remember working in the ryegrass harvest and man, the day you you brought that last combine full of seed in, you were like, going, Whew, I am so glad this is over. We're done. I see some folks laughing. You guys have driven combine before, hey? <laughs> Buck Bucking hay, right? It had last bale of hay. Of course, now they got big machines to do it, but you know, you get that last bale of hay in before the thunder. You know, you see the thunder. I can, I can remember many days. You'd hear the thunderclouds and you're working to get that last bale of hay into the barn before it rains. And folks, I think we're hearing the thunder of the coming because one day that harvest is gonna be ended. One of the saddest verses in the Bible, in my opinion, is Jeremiah 8.20. The harvest is past. The summer is ended and we are not saved. There's going to be a day when this is reality. No more. God said what? I'll strive with men for only so long. There's going to be coming a day when God says the last one. The last one I'm taking out. Well, it's interesting. Lot and his family had to be pulled to safety. I mean, it says they took them by the hand. He he told them, run. (laughs) No, no, no. He hesitated. And they literally took them by the hand and they ran away. They had to be pulled to safety. God calls us to pull people to safety, to pull them. Jude 1, and 23 says, and have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire and some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Pull people out any way you can. Appeal to them. Grab them by the hand. Don't let them go. And I think a lot of this has to do with with prayer. With prayer. I I talked about the list of of the lost that we have here at this church. When's the last time that you stayed up all night praying for somebody that you know that's lost? Or even it been an hour begging God, negotiating with God. God, will you save this person? When's the last time we did that? That is God's calling us. God's calling us to, to intercede on their behalf. How do we get them to the place where they will believe? Well in, in Genesis 23-38 through 38, the end of the chapter and I'm not going to read this I'm going to just summarize this. There's a couple things that happen that I, I want us to, to look at. Verse 26 But his wife from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. I mean we've all If you've been in Sunday school, you you saw the story, right? Lot's wife becomes a pillar. What was she looking back at? What's, what's, What's back there? Oh, I've had to leave my big house. I've had to leave my closets full of clothes. I've had to leave all of those things that I've built. And now I'm going to Waterloo. Now I'm going to Smallville. You guys appreciate if you've ever been to Waterloo. Especially back in the time when I grew up. But she looked back because the pull of the world. And God said, I told you not to look back. Only look where I told you to go. Only look where I told you to go. And the interesting thing is, you know, that Lot pleaded to go to the little town. Where did Lot end up? Lot ends up in the mountain. Lot ends up in, in, in this, the rest of this chapter. Lot ends up on the mountain with his two daughters. I just, here's a little message for you. If God tells you to go someplace, go there. Don't make the side turn. Don't say, God, let me go over here because what God has for you is up there. If God tells you to go, go. Anything else is just going to waste your time. But he ends up... But there's another thing that happens in this, in this chapter, and I want you to look at verse 39, or 29. And thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow and when he overthrew the cities which Lot lived. God remembered Abraham's request. Even though they didn't get to the ten, God says, you know what? I knew where your heart was, Abraham. Your heart was to save Lot and those who knew you, and know it was only these four. God said, "I'm going to remember that." That's where that prayer comes in. That's where you know, God has called us to pray for pray for the unsaved, pray for those, the prodigals as we call them, those who have who have left the faith that, that have said, "Oh, it doesn't matter anymore," and God said, "Pray that they return," just like the prodigal son did pray, 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 because that's what Abraham did. Abraham asked. Abraham interceded for Lot and his family and those who had trusted God Almighty. That's who he prayed for. Well, we come to the end of the story and it gets pretty seedy. We have Abraham and his two daughters and they decide that 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 the, all they can do is they look out from the mountain. They see all of this destruction before them. They think they're the only ones left. They come. They devise this terrible plan. I mean, lots daughter. lots daughter. I'm sorry. Lots daughter. Lots daughters have this terrible plan of how they're gonna. How they're going to have a, another generation. And we see all of this happen. And the interesting piece at the end, when they give birth, it says that their names are, the first, in, in verse 37, the firstborn bore a son and called him Moab. He is the father of the Mo, Moabites to this day. And as for the younger, she bore a son, and his name was Ben-Ami, and he is the father of Ammon, To this day. Who were the two big roadblocks for the people of Israel to try to get back into the promised land? Moab and Ammon. That was the result. And these these two girls didn't ask God. Why? Why wouldn't they ask God? God, how are you going to take care of us? Because Lot had never showed them Lot had been so satisfied with living in the middle of of sin city that he never taught them to rely on God Almighty. Show your family what it means to fully obey God. If Lot had showed his daughters how to fully obey God, A, he wouldn't have been in the middle of Sodom, And B, they would have known to call on the name of the Lord. I was with somebody this week at a um, a state lawyer and we were talking about inheritance. What are we going to leave behind for our kids? What are we going to, I mean, and the thought came to me, it's really not so much about what what are they going to inherit, but what legacy What legacy are you going to leave with your family? Because the money eventually will all be gone. It will be spent on whatever. But the legacy of how they live is what you'll have left. And the legacy of Lot was Moab and Ammon. The two people that hated Israel enough to not even let them walk through their land. What kind of legacy do we have? I want you to turn, if you will, to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Because this is the legacy that God has if we'll follow Him. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you bind them in the sign on your hand, and they shall be frontals on your forehead, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That's the way the Jewish people would have read that. It was a song. They would have memorized it. They would have sung it over and over again. a matter of fact, they still do today. I don't know that that's the tune, but that's the way they remembered it. Because this is the one thing that will leave a legacy in this world if we can teach our children to love the Lord their God with all their heart and all their soul and all their might. It's about a legacy. You know, I want you to think about the legacy that the God Almighty left for each one of us. See, that His legacy was His Son, and He said, "Jesus, I want you to. I, I'm gonna. I'm the legacy that we're gonna leave is eternal life for all of those who will believe." and that legacy is going to cost you everything you're going to die on a cross to pay for all of those sins for all of these people and as we come to communion i think first we just need to thank god for that legacy that he's left for us thank him for the freedom that we have of eternal life that he gave us on the cross. And secondly, I think we need, as we, we come to communion, he said, he said, do this as often as you do in remembrance of me. What legacy are we leaving this world? Who are those that we are praying for in this world? Who are those that are lost? Who are the prodigals? Who are the people that we are sharing the gospel with so that we can snatch them, as it were, out of the fire and offer them the freedom of eternal life? There is no greater freedom than the day we step foot off of this earth into heaven. There will be no greater freedom than that. We have communion (coughs) in the center on the two corners and up here up front. The cups are stacked with the wafer in the bottom, the juice at the top. Uh, If you'd be so kind right now to reach into the pew in front of you and grab the uh, hand sanitizer, make sure that we do this as safely as possible then as we do the next song or two, would you slip out of your seat, and grab one of those, and, and sit down and, and think about, God, what legacy, what legacy am I going to leave when you call me home? Our Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you loved us so much that you gave us your son that we could have eternal life through the gift that he provided. Thank you that we can know for sure that we're going to have forever and ever in heaven. And Lord, I just pray that as we come to communion right now that you would bless us. In Jesus' name, amen.